His whole life, he's been guided by the code of the American West. He's ridden the range, he's served his country and his community by wearing the badge, and he's honorably worked jobs to feed his family that probably wouldn't have been his first choice. But no matter where he's been or what he's doing, he's lived his life as an American cowboy, and that makes Tom Curlin history worth saving. Well, I, I grew up uh, 20 miles west of here in Fayetteville, Georgia, actually down in the country, a little place called Stars Mill. And all I ever wanted to be was a cowboy. I caught up with Tom inside the store where he's worked for nearly a decade. It's a cowboy shop, an outfitter of sorts where Tom sells everything for cowboys and horse lovers, except the horse and trailer. He really looks the part, too. A tall man, weathered just the right amount, stare that could stop a freight train and a mustache that I'm sure he rents to Sam Elliott. Tom is the complete package. I mean, I was just like a lot of kids. And my mother always joked that she thought if she bought me enough boots and hats and guns, I'd grow out of it, and I never did. But when I graduated from high school, uh, I graduated like a 93 average, and everybody wanted me to go to college, and I didn't want to college because I hated school. I just, I was bored to tears in school. I wanted to go west and be a cowboy. And my daddy said no. And, and that day in time, back in the 60s, if your daddy said no, it didn't make any difference if you were 30, you didn't do it, because your daddy said no. I just kind of sucked it up, tried to find work, couldn't find anything, and my buddies were getting drafted. I joined the Air Force and wound up in electronics in the Minutemen missile field, and they sent me to Cheyenne, Wyoming. It's like throwing a rabbit in a briar patch. I got out there and basically made friends. My best friend lives in Wyoming right now. Uh, his folks had a uh, wheat farm and a ranch. He had a ranch, and I, I met him and just fell right into it out there. And that's all I did was cowboy out there. Even though I was in the service, I was cowboy, and I loved it. And uh, got I rodeoed some. I rodeoed a little bit before I left here. Went out there and rodeoed some more, and just that was just my my life. Got married had a kid, got divorced, came back to Georgia, stayed here a few years, and then went back out to Wyoming and in the 70s, worked out there some. When I went to Cheyenne, I was in the Air Force. And I met my buddy Gerald, and I would go out to his place and work on the weekends, and I met some other guys. I worked for a guy named Slim Brantley, who had a, a, a dude string, horse string, uh, west of town. And I would work for him and help with dude riders and all, and, and I just fell right in. I, the way I dressed, the way I looked, the way I acted, I was just somebody from Wyoming as far as anybody's concerned. And I would work 7.30 to 4.30 in the Air Force, five days a week. When Friday afternoon came, when I got off, I was a cowboy. <laughs> and I and there was a place on 17th Street called Mayflower Saloon. And that was where people, people hung around and did everything there. I would meet my friends there and on Friday night, and I'd go out to Gerald's Ranch and spend the night with him and stay out there for the weekend. I went in one Friday night early, and there were some people sitting at a table. The only other people in there was a man and a woman and two teenage girls sitting at a table. I walked up, talked to the bartender, and he knew me, and we were talking. This guy came up, and he stood behind me for a moment and turned around. I turned around, and he said, I said, yes, sir, can I help you? And he said, yeah, would you mind coming over to the table and speaking to my wife and two girls? And I said, 
sure. So I walk over and sit down, and he said, we're from Pennsylvania. We've been riding around out here for a, a two weeks on vacation. You're the first real cowboy we have ever seen. Would you mind talking to us? So I sat down and talked to him. I talked to him about 10 minutes, and some of my buddies came in. They saw me, nodded to me, and walked on back to the back. The people noticed they came in, and they said, well, we thank you very much for talking to us. We see your friends are here, so we're going to not take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for talking to us. You have really made our vacation. I said, you're very well. Thank you. Got up and walked back. The people left. One of my buddies, I got back at the table, said, who are those folks? I said, I don't know. You don't know us now. I said, folks from Pennsylvania. He said, well, what? What were you talking to him? I said, well, they've been out here on vacation. They want to talk to a real cowboy. And so I sat down and talked to him. And the guy looked at me. He said, well, did you tell him you were in the Air Force? I said, what, and ruined their whole vacation? <laughs> Eventually, though, the financial realities of being a cowboy caught up with Tom. And when I was 30 years old, I, I had a kind of epiphany. And I said, you know, what are you doing? He's working out here for nothing, making $250 a month in room and board. And I came back to Georgia and settled down, And but I still, I'm still a cowboy. I just, that's just what I am. I, I don't agree with everything. There are a lot of folks that say you, you're either a cowboy, you're not a cowboy, it's not a state of mind or heart, but I don't, I'm, I'm one of these that believes that cowboy is a state of mind as much as anything, because there's a, there's a certain code that you live by, uh, a certain way you deal with people, and that's just the way I am. I treat people right, it pays off in the end. So that's just me. That's who I am. Since his time in Wyoming, Tom continued to ride cutting horses. He even became a poet and occasionally performs with a guitar-picking friend from up in northern Georgia. But a lot of folks who have traveled Interstate 75 might have met our cowboy while taking a break at Horsetown. Right there, for nearly a decade, Tom has helped cowboys and the cowboy at heart find the perfect pair of boots and maybe a hat. In fact, that's where I met him. I met you here at Horsetown, mm -hmm. which is where you've been the last... Almost nine years. Almost nine years. What are you selling here at Horsetown? Because I know there's hats and there's boots, but what are you selling here? You know, it, to me, it's, you, you sell a Western lifestyle here. It, I, we've got everything here. We, we joke, and our little line is, we've got everything for the horse and rider except, except the horse. Because uh, you can get anything here at Horsetown. Largest Western store east of the Mississippi River, located just outside Atlanta, Georgia, of all places. We got the hats, we got the boots, we got the clothes, we got everything. And people that come in here who have never worn boots, and we put them in boots. We fit them and make sure they're going to fit right, that they're going to like them, and they leave here and they come back. So what about the cowboy way of life? There's a lot of folks who've never worn a pair of boots. They've certainly never had the pleasure of sipping coffee around a campfire out there on the open range. But it's what's in a cowboy's heart that's really different. Makes you wonder if the cowboy way is dying off. It used to be a disappearing way of life. They've always said, I said, well, always, always is too general a word. But the cowboys really were become a part of Americana in the late 1800s, in the cattle drives in that area. And basically there was this 
fictionalized character that they wrote about that was the good guy that would that always stood up for justice and stood up for women and stood up for the downtrodden a cowboy was him and and, and then it sort of kind of waned and the horse population dropped significantly before world war ii or you know after basically after world war ii as much as anything but during uh, when tractors were invented people stopped using horses they stopped working horses well they all everybody prophesied about the demise of the cowboy it was gone it was it was a way of life that was vanishing and people began to look around especially those of my generation when the westerns were on tv in the 50s and early 60s and there were you know there was one time i believe there was 30 something westerns on in prime time every week a half hour shows some hour shows and those of us of, of my age that grew up with that realized that that it was a lifestyle that we liked we may not be able to live it fortunately i was but you, you can emulate it and, and you, you emulated those values. And like I said, the good guy always won. You, you treat people with respect, you treat people with dignity, you try to do the best you can and not take advantage of folks. That kind of philosophy that was out there, uh, several of my friends here my age, we, we all identify with that, even the guys that, that don't dress like me every day. They, they watch the Westerns and some of them are involved in single action shooting society and that type of thing. So it's, I think it's a way of life that people look at and they say must be something to it and just the fact that you put on boots and and jeans or, or western dress slacks and, and a hat and and you just I, I don't know it to me it's just a feeling Tom's living proof that if you hold fast to the cowboy way in your heart, it'll never leave you, no matter what you're doing to earn a living. I, w I want to talk a little bit about uh, about your experience. You, you told me you went into law too. You've been a lawman. You've, you've traded your uh, traded your badge in, but you've kept the gun, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. I I got a concealed carry permit yeah. several years ago, and uh, I wear a gun some, and they because of this store and its location right here on the interstate um, you never know I mean, the people, well, the people know, that yeah. the people that I worked for just several years ago said don't you have a permit and I said yeah and they said just start carrying your gun I said okay and it's not an intimidation thing and I don't do that and the last thing in the world I want to do is I pull a gun on anybody I, I was a police officer and I don't know I don't, I don't need to do that but it, I guess it helps with safety in the store it's kind of like the guys that wear them in in pawn shops and in gun gun stores, they wear them, and it's more of a safety thing, or more of a thing to say, you know, there there is a gun here. Think before you do something. So, yeah. You you also told me that, and I'm I'm going down the list here because every cowboy has to have their cowboy time. They often wind up as a lawman, and uh, you've you've got to have a good act around the campfire. You, you have that. You have the cowboy poet and the guitar player now. So you, you, we're working down the list, Tom. Okay. You told me you're selling the family farm and uh, that next act's about to happen. And all that I can think of is when the cowboy rides off into the sunset, he returns back to the west. Is Walk me through this. Walk me through what's going on right now because this is a well, neat I'm, time in your life. I, I'm 72 years old and 
I officially retired when I was 63, and and and, and it was a it was a combination of circumstances. I was in I had gotten into construction business, and was uh, had had been part owner in a millwork company, which basically sold trim and doors and windows and things to the construction industry. When the economy downturn in uh, before 2010, we got caught up in that, and and the company just almost overnight said we had to close. So I was thrown out of work. And I was, you know, 60 years old, 61, and I, I couldn't find work. There was no work anyway, especially for people my age. And I drew unemployment while I looked for a job, and there were no jobs. So just as I turned 63, uh, I realized my unemployment fixing run out. And my wife and I talked about it. She had a steady job. And I said, uh, I've got to do something. So I just filed for unemployment. Not, excuse me, I filed for Social Security. Came in in September. I got, I, I got everything settled up. I was supposed to get my first check in, I think, November. And I had known the people who owned Horsetown. I had known them a long time. And I came in over here to see them one day about something entirely unrelated to working here. And they offered me a job and said, you know, we don't normally hire people out from outside the store as a manager, but we're going to make an exception. And I said, well, okay, we'll try it for 30 days, me and you both. We'll see if I like it, if y'all like it. If we don't, we'll part and still be friends, and I won't have it. And they, they agreed on that. Well, that was right at nine years ago. And uh, I, uh, I I like it, but I'm 72. So I'm getting ready to retire again, and my wife's getting ready to retire. And we just decided we was going to get, we were going, I can't even talk, we were going to get an RV and travel some. I've been living in my house since basically since 1969, except I left and went to Wyoming in the 70s and rented that out while I was gone. And my mother and daddy passed away. My brother's still there. My brother's got his wife and his kids and his grandkids. And uh, even though we live about in in our land 30 acres, we probably live a thousand feet from one another. You know, I see him maybe once a month. I talk to him more than that. So we just decided that that we can't keep up the place that we've been keeping up. I'm just getting to the point where it's too much work. So we put the house on the market and it basically sold in about a week. And so now you are unbridled, ready to go. <laughs> well, what, what is that next chapter? I mean, you're gonna get in the RV. Do you have any plans? Is it, what are you, what are you thinking about? What's running through your mind right now? I told a guy the other day, he asked me where we we're going. I said, well, well, no, we get to the end of the drive, we're gonna flip the coin and see if we turn right or left. Hopefully every cowboy gets to this point, the point where they can return to the range and ride free. Is the way of life that you've been selling here, is it on the, is it on the increase or is it on the decrease? Where, what are you seeing right now? Our business is, is good. Our business keeps increasing. Uh, we, there was, a few years ago, the ladies' fashion boots with Cowboy boots really boomed. It became a really hot item. Everybody had to have them. Our business continues to grow. But the cowboy way of life? I think it's out there. I, I really do. I, I see it on TV. I, I hear people talking about it in the store. I don't think that the cowboy way of life is in any way going away. It's there. Um, Chris Ledoux, the late Chris Ledoux, had a great song 
and the the line in the song was, the cowboys are still out there. You just can't see them from the road. They're there, and that's what I believe. I believe wholeheartedly. They're there. You just can't see them from the road. Tell me about one thing. I, I bought a hat from you, and I have I have two rules when it comes to buying a hat. Never never buy a hat that's not yours. And people say, uh, how do you know if it's yours? And I say, well, I don't know, but you'll know if it's not. And and never buy a hat from a place that can't shape a hat. And I, I met you over there at the Hat Shaper. Mm-hmm. Bought that little atwood for my yard. Mm-hmm. And I saw this this Stetson over there. And you didn't you didn't say a word. Now this is kind of behind the scenes, but you you didn't say a word. I, I tried it on and I, I said, sir, what do, you, what do you think of this hat? He said, well, it's a very good hat. It's made out of buffalo. It's, a, it's not beaver. It's an American classic. And you didn't say another word, but I tried it on a second time. And I think you probably saw me over there trying it on. And then I switched to another hat band. And I walked over to the mirror. And you, you did something I've never seen before, Tom. You gave me the most manly wink I've ever seen. And I had to buy the hat. It was it was as if you said, "It's your hat now." What what is the deal with the wink? Well, you know you can tell when something looks right on somebody, uh, and it's it's almost like you, you see things on people and you and you go, "That eh, really doesn't look right." But there are, there's there are times, especially hats. Hats are a personal thing, and they put them on and they fit. They fit the shape of their face. They fit the look. They fit the size. Uh, it's just one. Just it's just a natural feeling. They come in there to they come in there to look at a hat and and they want some help. I give them help if they want to stand back there and try stuff on. I leave them alone, and they'll find one that they like. And I don't mind telling them sometimes. They'll try on two or three and they'll say which one looks best. I say that one does. But if you give them the wink, well, you know it's kind of kind of thing you just tell them. Yeah, that's right. That's you 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 hit it. And do they buy it? Uh, if, most if times, you, if you give the wink, yeah, most of the times they do because if they want one, now if they're looking for a hat when they come in, and if they're not looking for a hat, they may try one or two on, and then kind of say, "Well, you know, I really wasn't." And okay, that's fine. And if they're if they're wink worthy, it's <laughs> it's might as well just swipe the card right now. Hey, there you go. That's right. Yeah, just take it on up front and let them check you out. So, what about buying boots? After our sit-down interview, Tom took me around the store to the boot section. And here are Tom Curlin's four rules for buying the perfect pair of boots. It's got to fit. It, it, that's the main thing. It's got to fit. It's got to fit uh, snug in the ball of the foot. Your toes have got to be flat so you can move them around. Uh, your instep, which is the top of your foot, it's got to be comfortable. That it can't be tight. If it's tight not at all. Not too tight. Not yeah. too tight. If it's, if it's too tight, it, it, it's never going to get loose. And then when you walk, it's got to slip in the heel just a little bit. If you get those four things right, and then you like them when you look at them, you're perfect. Well, there you go. Now you know how to buy boots and hats. So, on to the serious stuff. When it's all said and done, and you've, you've taken that, that ultimate ride to the West, what do you want folks to say about Tom Curlin? That's a... You know, that's really a deep question when you think about it. Um, 
nobody's universally liked. Uh, my daddy told me a long time ago, and I've told my kids this, I, as they were graduating from school and going off to college or going off to work or whatever, uh, my wife and I would say, you know, you need to understand something. We thank y'all for this stuff. We, we love y'all dearly and, and just proud of everything you do. But everybody's not going to like you. There are going to be people out there who, who, for some reason, don't like you. And you have to learn to deal with it. That's part of growing up. Uh, I mean, I, this, this modern movement out there among these people that get their feelings hurt because somebody says something wrong or they see something they wrote and they go all ballistic. Over it. You know, life is not always fair. It's just, it's life. And, you know, we're not promised anything. You deal with it on a daily basis. And that's how I am. I just, I like to deal with it. I like for folks to think that, that I treated them well. I treated them with respect. I, uh, I would like to th folks to think I was honest because I try my best to be honest. I'm not perfect. I don't mean to be perfect. You can ask my wife. I am not perfect. But I try, I try real hard. And if people will walk away from me with a smile on their face when they hear my name, that's all I can ask. All I can ask. Give us a cowboy poem. You, you said you, you have one that you're known for. Let, let's hear it. Is this one of your originals? Yes. Yes, it's one I wrote. I actually wrote this, and, and I was out in the barn doing what I'm talking about, and it hit me, and I ran inside, and I wrote this thing in about 15 minutes. So it's uh, Maudie and me have been married now on to 30 years, and I know there's been many times that I've brought her to tears, but truth be known, she's done her share hurting me too because at times that woman can be a real shrew. It's on days like this that I follow my old pappy's advice. Find you something to do outside, son, and just get away from your wife. Well, I'd taken his advice about 25 years back and devised me a plan to avoid that kind of spousal attack. With some baler twine, I started plaiting a four-strand pigging string. Over one, under t'other, you keep it taut, kind of like a spring. Well, I'd braid for a while until she'd cool down, then I'd head back in the house after I'd unwound. Now, platting that pig and string has sure saved the day because without it, I don't think there'd been any other way that we could have kept our marriage together and our relationship firm, although we had both agreed in the beginning we were in it for the long term. We'd get angry and crossed up. Things would get tense, and I'd just head out to the barn rather than take the offense. In time, she'd cool down. Any time, so would I, and we'd get together and talk things over and let bygones go by. So platting that pig and string has kept our marriage real strong. But you probably ought to know that pig and string is now nine and a half miles long. Well done. Well, there you have it. Tom Curlin, American cowboy and history worth saving. Well, I sure appreciate you listening today, and I'd love to stay in touch. You can find out more at uh, Facebook there or even Instagram. It's just history worth saving. Also, send a message over. This microphone goes both ways, you know. If you have a story idea or something that you think I ought to know, please stay in touch. I really would enjoy hearing from you. Until next time, I'm Matt Jolly, and that's history worth saving.